in the humble birth of Jesus, God is handed to you in swaddling rags and fragile. No show of force, no threats. God will have you feel God's love no matter what it takes. How does a weary world rejoice? This is the question we have been asking throughout our Advent and now into our Christmas season. How does a weary world rejoice? Tonight's theme, you may have noticed by now through the prayers and the kids' time, is about making room. Making room for awe and making room for Jesus. The title of our Advent and Christmas series comes, of course, from the beloved Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. And in it, we get a hint of the answer to this leading question. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Is the answer, then, to how does a weary world rejoice? A thrill of hope? What does that even mean, a thrill of hope? Not the weary part, don't worry. I got that. I got that down. What is a thrill of hope, though? Now, I spent some time this week wondering if the word thrill is a noun or a verb. And I don't think anyone came here for a Christmas grammar sermon, so I will just say I think the point of the word thrill is that when it's attached to the word hope, something changes. A thrill of hope. Some describe it as a rush of feeling from head to toe, or a zing that goes through us when we feel a moment of hope in a hopeless and weary world, a thrill of hope. It does something to us. It changes us. It causes even the most weary in the world to rejoice. And after this past year, I'd have to say that sounds pretty nice. I don't know about you, but I could use some rejoicing. I'm feeling kind of weary. As I spent more time trying to figure out what this phrase actually meant, the closest word I think I could think of that fits or that means that we mean when we say thrill of hope is awe. Now, awe is not one of the big six feelings identified and understood by therapists and psychologists and Disney Pixar enthusiasts everywhere. Those six are, in case you need the refresher, anger, surprise, disgust, joy, fear, and sadness. Awe is something altogether different. Research shows that a body experiencing awe is activated in ways none of the big six feelings quite get at. Awe is its own thing. Take a second, close your eyes if you need to, and think of a moment where you have experienced awe. <clears throat> what comes to your mind? Maybe you're picturing a vast landscape, forests or mountains, sunsets or starlit skies. 
Maybe you're picturing architectural feats or works of art or music. To me, awe has always seemed so grand and hard to define that being asked to make room for awe this Christmas seems kind of like an impossible task. How do you even begin to do that? Is it possible to take in the entirety of the night sky? Can I really grasp the beauty and power of the ocean or a range of snow-covered mountains? Can I really take it in? A simple Google search will remind you that the definition of awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Fear plus wonder plus reverence equals awe, like a math equation or a potion. It creates awe. And this kind of awe is felt in the body, not just something we think about, but it is felt. Awe is a full body, fully embodied experience. And this is why awe might be the perfect word to describe this night, Christmas Eve. Why awe might be what we mean when we sing a thrill of hope. We come here tonight for many reasons, but mostly to hear the story, to sing the songs, to see the baby God with us. This story we heard read has fear and wonder and reverence all over it. Everywhere you look in this story is just another person being told not to be afraid, so you know they're afraid, and they're overcome with wonder and amazement and end up rejoicing and worshiping with reverence. Awe is everywhere in this Christmas gospel. What we feel when we're in the presence of God on this night, I think, is that same mix of wonder and fear and reverence. Wonder because there is just something about this Christmas story that inspires me. Even in the years when I'm more Grinch than Cindy Lou Who, which might be this year. Angels and animals and feisty pregnant ladies and threatened political leaders and a sky that glows. It's all wonder-filled, and I am super into all of it. Fear is present in this space. Do I even need to say why? But I will. I mean, everyone is fighting, and people are dying, and there is war and hate, and it is 50 degrees and raining in Minnesota in December. So yeah, there's a few fear-causing things floating around right now. So we already have wonder and fear in this room, and to that we add reverence. Reverence is present on this night because no matter what you believe or don't believe, there is just something about this night that feels holy. Something that breaks through, draws us in, opens us up. That feeling that rushes over our whole self. Wonder, fear, reverence. It's all right here. And we didn't have to go very far or put on hiking shoes to do it. I wonder if we've made our definition of awe too big. I wonder if Making room for awe isn't about traveling to see the seven wonders of the world or some gorgeous Gothic cathedral. 
What if awe is a lot smaller than we think it is? After all, this night is about a baby at its core. It might actually be easier to make room when we remember awe can be a lot smaller and more accessible than the Grand Canyon. Or when we remember we don't have to try so hard or be so merry or believe the perfect thing or say the right thing at the right moment. What if the point of awe that we experience here is that it can actually be found every day? Whenever we slow down long enough to pay attention and notice the many moments where fear and wonder and reverence are present together, even if it's just for a moment or two. It doesn't even need to be limited to Christmas. Go outside, take a walk, stand next to a tree, feel the bark on your hand. Look all the way up when you're outside at the sky or the stars. Reach over right now if you want to and hold the hand of a loved one and notice what it looks like and feels like in your own. Smell the scent of your person when you give them a long hug. Lift up a candle and sing about love's pure light. All of those things hold a little bit of fear and wonder and reverence. You see, the good news about awe on this day and all the days coming is that it creates more room in us and in the world, not less. When we slow down and notice, that is when we feel it, a thrill of hope. For a moment, just maybe even that one little moment, we believe that there is more, that God is real, that God is here, and that the weary world can rejoice. Amen. How does a weary world rejoice? I recently binge-watched the World War II documentary on Netflix. It was called the, uh, From the Front Lines. It was really well done. If you get a chance to see it, um, they were able to uh, find some footage that hadn't been seen before and to colorize and, and uh, redo some that had been so that you could... Uh, really feel the impact of what you were seeing. Of course, there are an endless number of aspects to consider in this world-shaping uh, World War II history, time and history, from the outright evil motivations of Hitler and Mussolini to individual acts of compassion, from incredible bravery to brilliant strategy, from human treachery to heroism and sacrifice. It is clear that the war was shaped, and thus our world, by the deadliness of the weaponry 
from artillery fire, small arms, tanks and bombs, and ultimately nuclear weapons. Now, in the same way that Pastor Natalia said, you know, we probably didn't come over here for a grammar lesson, I know that we didn't get all dressed up and make our way over here on this holy evening to this beautifully decorated sanctuary to hear a lot about uh, weapon systems and war on Christmas Eve. It's just that next to a world that so often appears to be shaped by military might and war, the thing about the Christmas story, birth of Jesus, when I sat with it this year after having watched that World War II documentary series, is that in the nativity everything seems so fragile so vulnerable, so at risk. As we've turned the corner into a new liturgical season here, as we began Advent, we will now focus in the coming year uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Each year the lectionary uh, focuses on a, on a different Gospel. It is well established by biblical scholarship that Mark was the first of the Gospels to be written so it's striking then that the author of mark did not see fit to even include in that gospel an account of the birth of jesus if no one else saw fit to write a gospel after mark we may not have any shepherds keeping watch by night or even a babe in a manger mark decided to start the story with the great john the baptist the wilderness prophet out there in the jordan river uh, with a massive crowds gathering and, and responding to his, his uh, call for repentance. And, and he sees the religious elite coming, having come all the way out of the holy city of Jerusalem in their flowing robes and their fancy hats. And he looks up and he, and he sees them coming and he says, yeah, yeah, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. You brood of vipers. And when Jesus makes his first appearance then in Mark's Gospel, it's out there in the Jordan River at his own baptism. In the heavens, Mark tells us, the the Greek word is a great Greek word, it's schizomenos. The heavens are rent asunder. They are torn apart. And the voice of God booms, this is my beloved. It's undeniably a great opening scene from which to tell the world the story of Jesus. Gathering crowds, the clash of authorities, the building suspense, everybody focused on John, this wild prophet in his camel's hair coat, eating grasshoppers. And he says, there is one standing among you now. There is one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. But the Gospel of Luke wants us to know something else. Though in Mark's telling and introduction of Jesus, we see the armed guards around the periphery representing the occupying military empire, Luke wants us to know that Almighty God is determined to dwell with us 
And if we're paying attention, this may sound a little bit terrifying to us. After all, in Jesus' day, the, the, the presence of God could only be approached in the center of the holy temple, the holy of holies, and there only on the highest holy day of the year, and there only by the high priest, the God of the booming voice, the God of the burning bush on the mount that changed the very appearance of Moses, the almighty God of the flood and the plagues and the, and the Red Sea. I'm not sure how many of us want that God dwelling with us. I mean, looking over our shoulder all the time. I'm not sure I could survive it. Maybe better I just visit God once in a while at the church, at the mosque, at the synagogue, the temple. You know, God on my terms, on, on my schedule. No, 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 says Luke. In the humble birth of Jesus, God is handed to you in swaddling rags and fragile. No show of force, no threats. God will have you feel God's love no matter what it takes. God with a runny nose. God needing to be fed, changed, Cuddled, not dropped. Christmas is an in-between place where the Lord chooses to be with you until you understand how much you are loved, how safe you are. You don't need a priest for this. Or an imam, or a pastor, or a rabbi. This is between you and the God you hold. The God you hold also holds the world, also holds you. Maybe you find yourself in a space in between, somewhere between the current realities and your hopes and your dreams and your responsibilities. Your work, your studies, your fears, your anxieties, your grief, your, your worries, and the church that holds the Christ out for the world. We're just glad that you're here on this holy night, or you're listening in from home or wherever you happen to be. Christmas does not belong to the church any more than it belongs to the beautifully decorated department store or to Amazon or the Vatican. Christmas belongs to those in the shadows, those keeping watch by night or the hospital room or hospice care or pulling her child close in the middle of a refugee caravan seeking some kind of hope some kind of hope, if not safety in community, as we are doing even now. Christmas belongs to those shivering in the, in the rubble of an apartment building laid low by the weapons of war in Gaza. 
the one sitting on the edge of a missing loved one's bed in a kibbutz, crouched in a front-line trench, defending the homeland behind you in Ukraine. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This good news is meant for you this holy night, no matter what you are facing in your own life. This gospel has traveled the centuries and the distance to arrive at this moment. For unto you is born this night in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you, even now. And so the light shines in the darkness, traveling great distances and throughout time. And the light now, from where I stand, lights your face. You are the light that God sends into the world, chosen, beloved, child of God. The God you hold holds the world and also holds you. So we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas, everybody.